about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country round the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Good morning, friends. It is good to be with you. Welcome back. If you have been on holiday and you have returned, welcome back to Sydney and the humidity. Great to be with you. If you're online and you're unwell or isolating today, it's great to have you in church as well. It's so good to be together as God's people. Uh, Looking at this fantastic piece of scripture, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, his ministry that leads the way for his cousin Jesus 
to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. But John's a bit of a weird character in Scripture, and his message is not necessarily one we find exciting or even good. One word I think sums up his entire preaching, as we've seen just snippets of just then. Luke gives us a highlight reel of them. One word, repentance, which I doubt will make a comeback in 2022. It is not used anywhere anymore. It is purely a piece of religious jargon. It's not something we use in everyday events for everyday people really much at all anymore. And I think it's because we really don't like it. It has very negative connotations of people standing on street corners and telling people to turn or disastrous things will happen. That's kind of our mental architecture around this sort of word, repentance. It comes in this passage, though, as summed up as good news. It's good. Repentance. It's actually a fantastic thing to come back in 2022. But why is that? That's what I want to explore today. How can repentance be good news? How can it be a good thing, a joyful thing even for us in the practice of faith? It comes from a Greek word, metanoia, and from a Hebrew word that means to turn. Now, this is not quite the right definition. It literally means a change of mind, an alteration in the way you think, an alteration in your way of life, an alteration in your heart, a change, a difference. The great Martin Luther, when he was nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Cathedral door, do you know what the first one was? The first one, if someone knows this, I'd be amazed. I'd be incredible. It is this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. That's the first one. That's a fact for you for today. The whole of the Christian life, the whole of it, could be summed up in continual repentance, in continually turning back, in a continued change of mind. So what John has for us today is very important, even though we find it initially negative. And I want to show you why from what John preaches today, why repentance is actually really, really, really good news. And a practice you should carry with you through this year as an ongoing part of your discipleship. Now, the first and most obvious reason it's good news is this. It's repentance. Repentance is for forgiveness. Repentance is not for self-hatred. Repentance is not for feeling really bad about things that have happened. Repentance is for what? For forgiveness. For the receiving of a fresh start for the wiping away of the slate, for God to announce that our past sins have been dealt with. We enter into this scene with kind of some historical markers of Tiberius and Pontius Pilate and Herod uh, and Annas and Caiaphas. They're all situating us in a time in history. But what happens in that time is John, the son of Zechariah, John the Baptist, we've read about him earlier in chapter 1, his birth narrative, in the wilderness, and the word of God comes to him. A message comes to him, like one of the prophets of old. And in verse 3, we read, He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
There's a lot in that statement. Baptism, going down in the water, coming up again. Repentance, turning back, changing your mind. But it's all for the forgiveness of sin. It's all for the wiping away of the slate. Why do we turn back to God for forgiveness? Why do we turn away from one way of life toward another for forgiveness? This is exactly the same phrase that Jesus says to the disciples as they're making sense of his resurrection and sending them out to preach. He says that what's going to be preached? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's the same message for us today. We are to repent, to turn back to God, to change our mind so that we can receive forgiveness. And there is no better news than that. Repentance is fundamentally a good thing if that is its reason, its purpose. As Luke recounts it, he goes on to explain why this happened. And he says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth and all people will see God's salvation. This is from the prophet Isaiah. And it talks about God making highways through the desert so God's people can come home. Their redemption, they're brought home and so God can come and meet them. But what Luke has done has actually said, actually, the meaning in the context of John is different. How do you be prepared for God to come and save you? There's mountains that need to be torn down and and valleys that need to be filled up and, and crooked roads that need to be straightened. But where are all of those? They're in here. They're not physical highways that need to be made, but internal ones. Things need to change in us. Something needs to shift in us to receive salvation. And that posture, that shift, is repentance. Is turning back to God. This idea of baptism that comes along with it symbolizes it perfectly. Baptism was literally being drowned in the water and being brought up again, symbolically. The old you dying and a new you coming up again. We need to be wholly remade to receive what God is doing. And the only way to that work is to repent. But this is where it gets complicated. Because straight away, Lucas said the problem is in here. The problem is with us. Because when we repent, we own our moral condition before God. And this is where it gets messy and complicated and we get a bit uncomfortable. Did you see the really comforting, uh, you know, lovely opening that John has to the crowds who come to get baptized? It's a real heart warmer. Verse 7, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. Try that as an opening line when people come into your house next time. You sons of brown snakes. You black adders. It's provocative at best. And he keeps going, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
this is the bit we get uncomfortable about with repentance. This sort of talk, this kind of labeling of someone's moral condition, that's what a brood of vipers kind of means, to be a son of snakes, to be children of snakes, to speak of a wrath coming. You see, the reason why we need repentance is actually we're in a desperate position without it. We are morally compromised people. There are many hills and valleys in us. And there is God's anger about our condition. His rightful judgment and wrath against us. We're not just okay. We are under the judgment of God. Our whole way of life is, according to John. So we need to turn away from it. Turn back to God from it. Repent. John is very clear about the moral condition, and and he warns them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. and, and Don't begin to say to yourselves, we're we're We have Abraham as our father. We're good Jewish people of Jewish descent. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now remember, this is all good news. That's what it's labeled at the end of the passage. This is the good news that John was preaching. But how is this good news? This is terrible news. This is... Awful situation that we are in. And this idea of God's anger is very difficult until we remember that it's not despotic or flippant, it's controlled, measured, patient, proportionate, and right. The good news in all of this is that repentance is all that is needed, and owning of the moral condition. An owning of that, that, that the wrath is right. That we are morally compromised, morally bankrupt. That our way of life needs to end so a new one can begin. I think one of the problems we have with repentance is we make a, a bit of a category error. Sometimes we think, well, what real good repentance means is that I feel really bad about myself and something I've done. Now, I don't think that's correct. I think repentance done right isn't necessarily about the proportion or depth of feeling, but an right understanding of the significance of what we've done. That we don't just make mistakes or fail to follow the rules, but that we are constantly breaking God's heart. That the things we do don't just have bad consequences, but they lead to God's judgment on us. What we do affects Him deeply. I think it's a really helpful shift I find in myself to go, I don't need to feel bad about this. I need to recognize how significant it is before God. This is against Him, His nature, provoking His wrath, But joyfully I can do that because I know whenever I repent, 
forgiveness is mine. Because the good news here is that wrath can be fleed from. That it is not our final condition or consequence. That's what the good news is here. Here is a doctor announcing the sickness that it may be cured and healed. If it is just a pronouncement of the future and with no hope, then it is all bad news. But this is good news. We can own our moral condition and be forgiven. And this is the ongoing path of the Christian life. Knowing there is forgiveness and coming again and again and owning our moral condition before God. And rejoicing in the forgiveness that is ours. And it's helpful to read John and be reminded that God's wrath is real. God's anger is real against sin. We need to consider that. Consider that that is the fate of many who we love. Without forgiveness. We need to own our moral condition in repentance. But the other thing that John says that really ratchets it all up a bit is that genuine repentance also produces fruit. That's really embedded in his warning. Did you notice that? I'll go back. He talks about produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then when he talks about the branches that get cut off, he says uh, that does not produce good fruit. And so this moral turn back to God should produce a different way of life. And I think this kind of freaks a lot of people out. And they start saying, well, what should we do then? Which is the good question. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. That even says a lot. Like even the, 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 the scoundrels of the day came because it was such good news. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Three groups of people, ordinary people, tax collectors, and soldiers. And and to each one of them, he speaks of a, a fruit in repentance that's actually focused on other people and on justly relating to them, on handing out of our abundance to the need of others of tax collectors who would extort and take more money than needed out of greed to stop that, to honestly do their job, and for soldiers to do the same. It's interesting how it's all focused a little bit on money and possessions, which is Luke's theme all the way through. It makes sense that he kind of highlights it here. That the fruit of receiving forgiveness, of receiving a fresh start, ought to be this way of love and justice toward others. It naturally should produce it in us. It's not that if you do these, unless you do these things, you won't be forgiven. But those who turn from their way of life and receive forgiveness will have the fruit of a different way of life. And the reason why John is saying this is because there's this potential complacency with these Jews, that they're just Jews and it'll be all right in the end. John says you need to turn around, receive forgiveness, and it needs to be evidenced as something. 
particularly love of justice and generosity. Maybe that's a really interesting thing to think about as you start this year. How is God's forgiveness producing in me deeds of generosity and justice and love and silencing the greed inside me and my lack of contentment, particularly at work? These are work examples, tax collecting, soldiers, at your job. Are you producing fruit, good fruit, in line with repentance in the place you work? So all of John's words are sufficiently terrifying, shall we say. A moral condition, the wrath to come, the fruit needed. But then he gets to the really good news. Because remember, this isn't the end story of Jesus' life. This is just the beginning. This is the prelude. And really, the, the really great thing about repentance... I'll go another Martin Luther thing. I'm going to skip it. The really great thing about repentance is that it leaves us in Jesus' hands and not our own. It leaves us in Jesus' hands and not our own. Let me go back to this quote to explain this for a second, because see what's wrong with this quote? Metanoia, repentance, the journey of changing one's mind, heart, and self, a way of life. Who's the person changing who here? It's us changing ourselves. Did you notice that? Metanoia is the journey we go on to change our life which is often what we picture the Christian life like. But it's not right. This is the way our culture pictures the life of transformation. This was rammed home to me at a, a bookshop in America. Bar- this is a normal Barnes & Noble, but this one was just a little more amped up. And its self-help section was labeled, as you can see, self-transformation, which I thought was amazing. What an incredible owning of a whole category of literature. It's not just help. It's like us on our own spiritual quest to change our own life. I mean, this is a really bad type of repentance. A repentance that owns our moral condition only to say, I'm going to do heaps better and change my way of thinking and my way of life. That's not the good news we get here. As they hear all this, the crowd they start wondering about John and whether he is God's salvation, God's Messiah. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize This is an amazing moment where John gets his position in salvation history correct. That he is just a placeholder for something bigger that's cued of power and glory and honor that John can't even untie the dirtiest part of his body. And the contrast is between John's baptism with water and this person, Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, John's baptism symbolized a change of life. But Jesus' baptism actually changes your life. The Holy Spirit, when you're baptized in him, can remake you inside out with a fire that will purify and lower every mountain and raise every valley. You see, the good news of repentance is we don't have to stay in our hands to fix our lives. We're in his hands. 
the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's like the most annoying character in all of Narnia. If you've read Narnia, Eustace Scrub, who unfortunately turns into a dragon. That's a long story. Eventually, in The Dawn Trader, Aslan comes to help him in his predicament. And Aslan puts out a claw and says, you know what? I'm going to have to undress you. And Eustace looks at the claw and is a bit terrified, but he's also a bit desperate. He's stuck as a dragon and can't change. And he says, when Aslan started, the first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. There's this incredible scene where Aslan rips the scales off him and then picks him up and throws him into the water. And he comes out of the water a boy again, remade. See, that's baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. A fire that will reach in, not just to the surface of the things you do, but to their very depth, and rip it out, and then cleanse you, so that you're new again. You see, when we repent, we don't fall back on our own capacities and confidence and securities. We fall solely on Jesus's to remake us. You know, Jesus is the one, as John will go on to say, who will be the one who will execute God's judgment, who'll put the chaff into unquenchable fire. But he is also the one whom when we come humbly, again and again and again, will forgive us and remake us. As C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Dawn Trader, said, we, may, we must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. That's the heart of repentance. That's the posture of repentance. To come owning our moral condition, our state before God for the things we do, our need for new fruit, and humbly receive forgiveness again, and to ask him to remake us. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that you can walk out of here not with more of you but more of him? You know, at the end of the passage, John gets locked up in prison and eventually is killed. It's a beautiful picture of what will happen in Jesus' life that will echo John's. You see, the reason why Jesus can rip off your scales is because he was judged like a dragon on the cross and drank God's wrath down to his last drop that when you come humbly to him, He'll forgive you and start ripping off your scales. You know, this is a lifelong thing. C.S. Lewis says it of Eustace. You know, it would be nice to say that from this time forth, Eustace was a different boy. And he had become a different boy, but he had relapses. And there was many days when he could be very tiresome. That's us, isn't it? Still very tiresome. Still continually, day by day, on that lifelong change of mind, repenting and turning back to God for forgiveness and remaking. Let's pray.
Father, we want to own today our need, our neediness, not our moral strength, but our bankruptcy, not our goodness, but our moral fallibility, not our natural good position before you, but by nature we're objects of wrath. And yet we come acknowledging our bankruptcy, receiving again that knowledge of forgiveness in Christ, and come not with our resolve to change, but with a humble request for him to remake us by Holy Spirit and fire. Level the mountains and raise the valleys in us, we pray, Lord, today and tomorrow as we joyfully take up this life of repentance. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.